How have you been? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you. You're doing How's well? How's things going? Everything good? Everything is, yeah, really good. I'm working on a couple of projects, doing consulting, sold my store. Yeah. I know. I saw that. I saw you came out with some sort of... Um, treat. Uh, yeah. With the, what was it, crickets or something? Um, black soldier fly. Yeah, a black soldier fly. Yeah, I did see that. That was cool. Yeah, it's tested. How do, like, how do you like being on that side of the line now? Well, you know what it's like. I'm learning. And if it doesn't work, I'll do something else. It's not, <laughs> I didn't make a huge investment. Yeah, look, I think with all this stuff, it's, um, it just takes resolve, right? It's, you know, I, I think you guys are early in the, the transition of some of that stuff to market. And I think mm -hmm. you just need to kind of let it play out and just be patient patient with it you hit it on the head absolutely yeah patience is definitely a key when you have something like these little worms in a package for a cat yeah yeah it's uh it's gonna take a little consumer uh adjustment <laughs> for sure yeah i have to market it right <laughs> it's the least it's the thing that i don't like doing so the marketing side but that's sure. everything that's everything yeah. So how is, how are your stores? Did you, you just recently opened the rice store back up, right? Yes. Or yes. So we had, no, we were open. Um, so we were down for about three months um, after taking on about four and a half feet of water on the ground floor. So absolutely annihilated the store. Every ounce of inventory, unfortunately went into dumpsters and it was a, an essential do-over for us um unfortunately that's actually the third time that store has been impacted by water um so we've become quite proficient with learning the ins and outs of having to manage really tragedy in that sense and um, but was it external water coming in or was it yeah no that was that was groundwater it was that day that even manhattan remember when all the subways it was that crazy like oh, yeah. biblical rainstorm yeah. right yeah. it was i i tell everyone i'm like if this was the time of 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 the bible like people would have written about that we would have been on ark like riding around everywhere like it was so abstract and crazy and it just came so fast. It went from like the ground was fine, everything was fine, and then literally just leveling up. And when we went to visit the site, it was like a tragedy. And it wasn't just us. It was like the whole community in certain areas. Yeah. Cars were flipped upside down on top of one another. It was it was insane and it's disheartening and it's like you put your life into these places and then it gets totally ripped out from inside of you but you know you just have to take it on the chin and the community was great and everyone was was super kind and you know we put out um that we had to close obviously i mean everyone saw it they knew it but they people from out of the market that were coming in were noticing it we just asked them please would you go to one of our other locations yeah. and you know and they did they went to 
to other locations. They drove some of these customers an hour, hour and a half out of their way just to continue to support us. And it was really humbling and it really allows us to um, feel that we've penetrated the community in a way that our own goodwill has come back to us yeah. in our time in need. Um, and so it was a, an amazing experience from that perspective, but not anything I wish on anybody else. Like, just you just don't need that, you know? And you see what's going on now in California. Like, I, my heart is really um, open to them because it's, it's really a, a difficult thing. Water is, is a terrible, terrible thing because it just turns to mold and, and it just very quickly becomes out of control. I know it. I lost everything in uh, Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. And it was a full rebuild. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. That was just once, but you had this happen multiple times. Yeah. Right. yeah. We're yeah. just not in the right spot. <laughs> That's all. Everybody, this is Adam Jacobson, Executive VP of Pet Pantry Warehouse. And you're with Raised Right Pet Foods. And you're repping brands too, right way reps. Yes, that's so correct. So what's going on in retail? I mean, are you seeing a breakdown in, uh, on the retail side at all, or are things moving nicely for you? I, I Look, I think every one of us had different experiences through COVID. I don't think anyone was immune to uh, the realities that are out there. And then the aftermath of it um, coming to terms with you know, supply chain issues, distributor out of stocks, um, employee anxiety, consumer anxiety. Uh, but the one thing that was the constant is the relationship with the pets only became stronger. I know during that whole crisis, like I would go home and just my poor dog, unfortunately, just took all that negativity out of me and absorbed it, but it was really therapeutic. And I think that a lot of people had a similar experience where there was, it was so difficult to process mentally and emotionally, because if we never had gone through that, you never did, I never did, no one in the world did. And so it, the uh, the fear of the unknown was really sinking in, and and I think we just found solace in our animals, and and you know I think coming through the process with people getting more animals, adopting them, or bringing them into their household, and really um, embracing them as a critical part of their family, not just an add on anymore. Um, I do think it strengthened the industry. And I think that we have, I could speak for myself, but I know, you know, other stores, other businesses rebounded even quicker than we did. It took us a while to get back on our feet. Um, we didn't stay open. We didn't keep our doors open. We went to, you know, phone orders. We had no process for buy online, pick up in store. We kind of figured it out on the fly, like a lot of other retailers. Um, you really just had to use your creativity and ingenuity to kind of get through it. Um, so, you know, it, it, it took many months to get through and the PPP money and keeping everyone on payroll, those were all 
um, really nice things to be able to have had as an industry where so many other industries didn't have that. Mm -hmm. They were just shut down, period. Yeah. Um, so we were fortunate in that way. And I think because of that and because people were viewing the relationship with pets as essential, we were able to be an essential business, you know, and stay open and operate. And that gave us a better footing to get through and rebound. And I do think um, the industry has continued to scale, at least in the markets we're in, you know, their pet value going out and closing locations, you know, although I don't wish, you know, ill will to anyone that helped us in our markets recapture customers that they had peeled off. Um, other larger scale stores like PetSmart and Petco closed some locations. And so um, we were the benefactor of, of those closings. And I was happy to see that none of the independents in our area closed. So, you know, we won and that was awesome. Um, and we just continue to put our head down and grind through it. But, you know, what we decided to do at one point, um, knowing how much difficulty was in the market, you know, I went back to all of our brand partners and said, look, we need to keep budget. We need to keep promoting. And we actually went full steam ahead. That was when people were cutting back on their marketing spends and, you know, there was no more mail in your mailbox. People just shut out doing that. We actually amplified all of our CRM tools that we have and started, you know, marketing more and more intensely to just let people know that we were here for them. You know, it was done in a genuine way. It wasn't really to prosper. This was survival mode stuff for all of us, right? And we did recognize at some point that um, we were fortunate to be able to be open. So we started something called donatable dollars. And essentially what we do is most of our brand partners that we work with, that'll give us trade spend monies. Um, we ask them if it's okay, if we apportion some of it and put it into a donation kitty. So essentially if, a bag of, let's say, we'll say raised, right, would be a dollar off. Maybe the customer got 50 cents of that dollar. And then we put 50 cents into the donatable dollars. And at the end of every month, we accrued the money and we started to give it to food pantries, to other COVID relief funds, to people in need. And it actually allowed us to process through this in a different way. Like we took all of that chaos and negativity and bad energy that everyone was feeling. And then we started to try to find a new way to funnel it. So we felt that we were doing our part. And I think as of last um, uh, calculation, I think we've raised over about $100,000 doing that. Wow. And I've redistributed wow. that into the local communities in, in all different ways. And so you know, with the bad sometimes comes good and we found the light and we are now, that is like a foundational pillar of the business. Every month we have sale items that continue to uh, contribute to our donatable dollar program. 
That is so awesome. And you would think 50 cents here, 50 cents there, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But when you put it together every month at seven locations, it, it adds up. And, so, and some of the brands, they're very generous knowing that that's a part of what we're doing now. So, you know, it might, sometimes it could be $5. Sometimes it could be $8 going into the bucket. Um, but, you see yeah. that, that donatable dollar segment has brought in better sales for you. I think what it what it has done is continue to reinforce that we're a community based business. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago that we can't compete on price. We can't compete on assortment sometimes. Um, but what we can do is be the local hero, because most of these larger companies they might have their a few. Um, nonprofits that they designate, but they're typically not localized. They're not, they're nationalized. They're these big organizations. And do they really need the money? Or is it your neighbor down the street that can't buy their groceries? Or is it, you know, the food pantry that's, that doesn't have enough food on its shelf to give out to people? That's really where it's going to make a difference. And so, I think for all of us independent retailers, that's where we can outperform. And I think what that does is it, it allows the community to want to come in and support you, even if you're not the cheapest person, even if you're not delivering in a box to their house, their pet food from your store, they're willing to support you as long as they know you're a good partner in the community. And I think being a good corporate citizen goes a long way, honestly. Yeah, community is such a key in, in small businesses. How are you doing that or are you doing that with Raised Right as well, the food company that you're a part of? Is that the same mindset? Yes. So as you know, the company in and of itself, it's family owned. Mm -hmm. it's it's the root family and my family and it we definitely approach it from that same perspective mm -hmm. uh, I think the ability to facilitate is different um, and we approach it differently I think what we're trying to do in terms of raised right is really put everything into the formulas so that we can benefit the relationship of the animal to and bond them longer to the human, right? So kind of give them good health, longevity, more ability to have high functioning relationships to one another. And that has been our primary focus is just to really put super clean label uh, pet foods into the market, try to get them out to pets that need it. Most of our foods are below 2% carbohydrate. So they're great for a lot of different um, other purposes. Um, you know, we do have oncologists that recommend our food for dogs with cancer. We have dogs, pancreatitis, colitis, IBD, um, using our foods. And that's the way I think we're trying to do our best efforts for raised right is just to be honest and transparent and truthful and really approach this in a very um, holistic and um, sensitive way to the animal's well-being. So you sell raised right direct to consumer and at retail. Yes. 
tell me how that has worked out for the company as a whole and for um, for the consumers. Yeah, and they have the comfort of knowing it could be delivered to their house if there's another emergency, or they could run to hopefully as many stores as possible to get it. Yeah, I think I think over. So now I'm, I'm in the industry. I'm coming on to about 30 years now. So it's been a while. And there's been so many transformative moments in time. And I think we're just living through one of those where um, the barriers are blurred. It's not just online. It's not just brick and mortar. It's really a combination of everything. And we as retailers and as manufacturers need to meet the customers where they want to be because we can't just corral them and drag them into the stores you know by their ear it doesn't work so you have to find out you know which customer wants to shop which way and some like to do both you know sometimes convenience they might be sick they might not be able to get out of their house and go to their local store um, but I, I do think that's just how retail exists today. And what I can tell you as a manufacturer, um, I'm not sure we would have survived COVID without being omni-channel at that time. You know, and I think that as a small company who approached it, you know, we were very transparent with how we were doing everything. And we continued to support our retailers differently through Astro loyalty and frequent buyers and monthly promotions and things that they can only have in order to keep their relationship unique to their consumers on behalf of Raised Right. Um, but I do think there is just a new way to handle retail in this day and age. And I think it's a balancing act for all of us as retailers and as manufacturers and and try to just support each other in those endeavors, knowing that they're truly not as conflicting as people want to make them out to be. You know, you might have the customers that come in and they'll say, you know what, I normally get this delivered, but they're out of stock and they come into you and they could be a new customer. And so if you grab them and you embrace them and you give them a different type of experience, like, you know, I love my UPS guy, but sometimes they just throw the box on the floor. Like they're not talking to me, you know, they're, they're just ding-donging and running. And so there's a great opportunity, I think, for retailers to really um, do better than even pure play DTC companies. And I think as long as we realize we're not at odds with it, we just have to capitalize on those moments where we can um, have those conversations and dialogues and create the humanity again in the relationship. I absolutely agree with you, but there's another thought pattern that comes into play here with retailers who'll say, well, look at Adam. He, he is a partner with a food company. He's got multiple stores and he also has a you know sales repping company where he reps brands so he, he's different than your one or two store uh independent pet retailer so what do you say to them different how 
I mean, I, I live it every day. My doors open and they close and I stock the shelves. I've swept the floors. I've, I've done all the tasks and am not afraid to continue to do them. So I am a retailer by nature. That is my bloodline in reality. Um, all of these other things are just different ways to um, use the experience that I've had um, and not only help raise right, help other brands make that same connection in the relationship cycle here. Because, you know, as, as retailers, we all need our reps, we all need our brands, you know, and they need us. It really is, you know, part of how this industry works. And so I'm just trying to tie the dots together a little bit and use some of the experiences that I've had, some of the wisdom that's been given to me by other people that were retailers that mentored me or manufacturers or even reps that are, you know, helping steer our ship a little bit in terms of our knowledge base. But I might be different in the fact that I like change. I, I'm not afraid to um, pivot. I think, you know, part of succeeding in any industry is being nimble and not being afraid to adjust. You, you can't just you know, get paralyzed when a competitor comes into your space. It's, you just have to find a different way to re-engage yourself, re give that passion back to you and push that energy out into your stores and into your relationships. And I think that's not really any different than anybody else, right? That Oh. I mean, I don't you are, know. You are different. No, no, no. Well, I, you know, I might be strange. I don't know, but not strange. Just <laughs> um, you're forward thinking instead of you know getting stuck in the in the moment and hovering there. And that is something that allows you to kind of expand and see the world completely, as opposed to seeing this pigeonhole you know the, I think so. that's fair I think that's fair but I think everybody just needs to give them their their own space to do that I, and I know it's hard I mean sometimes you're in the stores it's you're one person and you're picking up the phone and you're helping customers and you're packing out the store and it's a million things going on but I think everyone needs to find a way to take a moment and really just kind of put everything in perspective a little bit and ask for help if you need it. And I don't mean help by, from an employee. I mean, other retailers, yeah. other manufacturers, other reps. There are so many people willing to be there for you. Um, I know I try to pay it forward. There have been really kind um retailers when we were first starting out right out of college and green and no experience and we were able to pick up the phone and call them and they were more than happy to share um, some tidbits or give suggestions and I, I think that you know what I love right now with social media you know obviously there's there's the good side and the bad side but right, the good side the is side. there's a lot of groups there's a lot of people 
doing this, connecting the dots for other people. So I just think, you know, nobody's on an island by themselves. And if they just want help, don't be afraid to ask for it. We all don't know everything and we're all constantly learning, you know? And so, um, I don't know. I just implore your audience to, to take that approach. Um, with you, absolutely. Tell me about Right Way Reps. You have multiple bands under there. You have, if you're with the Rid family, obviously it's a joint venture with them, right? Yeah. Super Snout, Savage Cat, uh, Raised Right, obviously. Huggle hounds and polka dogs so far. That's what I saw on the website. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that uh right way reps does? And um are there any conflicts with the other brands that you have other than these that are similar at, at your at your business, at your businesses, at your stores? Um, I'll tell you why we started it for sure. I'll go backwards. Yeah. You know, being a smaller company, you know, we're privately funded. We're not taking venture capital or PE money. We're doing it the old fashioned way. We're, we're you know, kicking the boots up and, and one door at a time kind of thing. Um, the way the industry really used to be shaped up where you would see everyone and those were the owners and the creators uh, of the business. They were the ones in the booth. They were the ones you were talking to for years you know, and, and money has obviously accelerated the industry, um, but there are a lot of innovators that get into this space that, um, similar to the retail thing, you're just stuck in, in your daily mode. You're just trying to plug through it. And if you get fortunate enough to get a distributor to sign you up, you know, the first thing is this big breath comes out and you think you've made it and then you realize you're literally standing in quicksand right and now you have to pull yourself back out of it and so we learned that as a company we've we live those struggles of really not having the same budget to some other larger companies you know certainly the the conglomerates and the and the, the multi-brand um venture capital pulls, but um, a lot of other manufacturers still go through that same thing. And so when we were looking at this, we're like, how do we do this? You know, we, we know we need to have reps in, uh, in the market. It's a very expensive proposition um, to put one boot on the ground in one market. It's, it's a lot of your cash flow going into that relationship. And so we said, you know what? We know we need help. We know there might be other manufacturers who want help also, but they just don't know what to do. And so we just started having conversations with people and we're like, look, we're going to go out and do this for ourselves because we really have no other option. So we're just going to kind of go full into this thing. Do you guys want to maybe come on board and we'll, you know, work at it collaboratively. We'll work at it together and we'll use one rep for all of our brands instead of each one of us trying to have one on our own. So it's really um, coming at it from that communal type approach. Um, it's certainly more economically viable for brands. 
It also allows innovators and creators to not have to worry about those types of things and really focus on new innovation or R&D, the stuff that drove them to get into the business to begin with. But once you get there, you realize you kind of got to keep your eye on all these other parts of it. So we're just trying to uh, position some of these brands in markets where they can lean on us to help with their sales execution, and then they can refocus in different parts. Um, to answer another question, I don't think there's any conflict in the portfolio that we've put together. Um, we are curating the portfolio to be non-conflicting. Um, there's really minimal to no overlap in terms of the types of products that we represent amongst the array of brands. Um, and that's intentional. With the sales execution, what is it that you guys are doing? I mean, you're taking the brands out there, you're supporting the brands with retailers. What is it that is that that encompasses? So in in the markets that we're operating it's it's knocking on the doors it's putting a physical presence in front of them it's really introducing some of the brands including us that maybe they've never seen before or heard of um working with the distributors to better enhance the turns you know in the industry on those products and on those offerings you know, demo days if they need help stocking the shelves, really educating them on the differentiated types of products. You know, some products might be more mainstream than others, but certainly I can tell you from Raised Right, you know, the category is expanding and it's growing, but it's still new to some people. And I'm sorry, I don't, I mean, we've known each other a couple yeah. of years and I knew about Raised Right so long ago that uh, my head is somewhere else when it comes to pet food and, and being ahead of it. But it, it just shocks the hell out of me that pet retailers, and I, I talk to a lot of them, don't have a clue what's on the market. They don't know. Yep. So it is to introduce them to a different and wider array of product. And I think, you know, for a long time, um, the big brand heroine of funding and budgets, it, it kind of lulls you to sleep a little bit. You kind of get used to that. And I think um, being in the industry for as long as we've had, we've lived through so many cycles of, of riding the wave with a brand only for it to change distribution strategy. And then you're left, oh my God, I spent all this time, all my customers are on this, now what? you can't get to those points and you, you got to kind of put the emotion away. And I think what a lot of people are learning to do now is curate your own differentiated mix in your store. Don't try to be Petco light, be unique, right? I know that's what you did, right? You were really excellent at that. And I think we all to survive in retail need to look at the smaller innovation brands and look at them like a raised right, like almost like their house brand. Like this is a brand you can have 
that is not going into other places. And that's part of, you know, approaching manufacturing from a retail basis. Like I know what happens when these things take on big investment and where they go and we're not doing that. Like we are doing this like as a legacy business and that's how we're approaching it. And we want to have that long-term viability with neighborhood pet and independent pet. And I think some of the brands that are in our stable, most of them also fit that mold. And that's also part of the approach. So when our reps go in there and they're talking to them, these are brands that they really should be able to get behind you know they're they're of high caliber they're brands with integrity um these are the things that i think make us all better retailers when we know that there there's quality behind it and we can present that to our consumers without fear or risk you know going out there of anything happening and so um I think that's what we're trying to do is just tie it all together in some weird way, but it all sort of makes sense. Let me ask you a question about all these franchises. A lot of these indies are selling to the, um, well, they're shutting down because of the Pet Supplies Plus or Wolfgang is buying them. There's so much happening. It's fast. Mm. It's happening super fast, especially in the last year and a half. What are your thoughts on that, Adam? That's a really good question. That's, that's a great question. Um, I don't, I, I think I can understand what would motivate people to want an exit if it's presented at times. And, you know, I think that's fair. Like each person has worked their own stores and maybe they lost a little passion. Maybe it's just, they want to make a, a, a shift. It's a grindy type of business. It's yes. not as sexy as everyone thinks it is, right? It's it's like Groundhog Day every day. I The way I always tell people like being in retail is like being on a hamster wheel, you can never get off, right? And so I would understand why people might want to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing for the industry long term, I'm not sure. Um, I My fear is always the way that a lot of these investments work. It just stacks debt upon debt upon debt to the point where it becomes unsustainable. Yeah. And then naturally what will happen is doors will start to close or they'll tighten up or they'll peel off certain parts of the acquisitions that they've had. And previously they were highly successful, localized independent stores that just might not fit into the long-term strategies. So I think that's bad for the community. I do. I, I, I think what I love is seeing independent spirit and small business thrive. And I know that's challenging at times. Um, Time will tell with, with these consolidations, you know, I remember when Peco and PetSmart were doing the same thing in the nineties, they were gobbling up chains upon chains and people were signing NDAs and were sitting on the bench and, and then three to five years later, they were like chomping at the bit to get back into the industry. The, The one thing that I always talk to people is, 
what industry is going to be this? What industry is going to be um, potentially viable for as long as this one is? And I would just challenge them to take a step back. And mm -hmm. I know the grass is always greener, but sometimes it's not. And you realize after the fact what you gave up and you might not be able to, to get it back again. So, you know, but I don't begrudge anyone for doing it if that's what's really in their heart to do. I just hope that the people that become the acquirers have enough understanding and patience and have the stomach to really hold on to these things for as long as they they should. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it seems just like a money play. And when the next investor comes in, it's it'll be something different. So I don't know. It's definitely unique. It, I don't remember it ever being um, so much consolidation by so many multiple different sub um, categories. You know, mm -hmm. like you mentioned Wolfgang, they're very specialized in what they do. There's the Earthwise group that's out there. Yeah. There's yeah. certainly PSP out there. There's the I just hope long term, you know, they remain viable and they keep employing the loyal employees that were at the stores before they acquired them and are able to service the community in the same way those stores did previously. And, you know, time will tell. Yeah, a lot of pet retail, independent pet retail owners go in because of the love of their animals. They all, everyone has stories, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was a family owned business like yours, or they go in as, because one, they want to start their own business, but they love their pets. So they want their pets all the time. They love dogs more than people. You know, you hear those things all the time. And then it does get to be grinding, like you, like you said. And when they get stuck in that box and into that zone, they feel like they can't get out. And someone comes and gives them a little hand. And it's little, you know, it's like, here, take my finger, <laughs> you know, type of thing. I get really, I'm really worried about that community mindset, like you said, kind of leaving on a mass scale that yeah. worries me um, i've seen it in new york so many businesses have closed and closed not you know consolidated they do food consulting for clients one-on-one -on -one, and when i tell them well go to your local independent retailer and ask them if they have such and such product they're like well we don't have any local independent retailers yeah. <laughs> i'm worried that these communities that amazing people that started businesses for heart and soul are going to become diminished so i think you're right and i think what i hope truthfully is what happened in covid and people recognizing that if they want their towns and their neighborhoods to look and feel the way they were you have to make a committed effort like you cannot take it for granted the doors might be open, the lights might be on, but unless you go in that store and transact, that's your way of helping. It's not, wow, I thought they were doing so well and and not ever, when was the last time you went in that store? Like, exactly. and they're like, oh, well, I haven't been there in years. Well, no wonder they're not there anymore, but 
I do think, and I, I feel this as a retailer that went through COVID, like, and storefronts were were shutting down, and it was dark, and it was tumbleweedy, and um, it's our it's our obligation, right, as a member of the community, to realize that you can buy a cup of coffee from more than one place. You can eat breakfast in multiple places. You can support even more than one pet store. That's okay, right? No one's going to slap you on the wrist here and, and do that, but make a committed effort if you want to have that vibe in your life. And, and you know, I know Manhattan was a unique situation. I have family that live there. I, I visited during all of it. It was dark and gloomy and <laughs> and there was a mass exodus out of there. It was really one of the hardest hit places yeah. in the country. And and I, you know, I'm I'm sorry if it if if it was so slow to recover in contrast to other people, but I do think that it's all of our obligations. Like I know, honestly, I moved to the community where I am in Connecticut because of all of these things that I loved about it. And if that goes away, then the heart and soul of, of the community disappears. And so I hope the stores stay open. I hope the retailers are committed and, and are willing to fight for it because it is important. Our business is strategic in people's lives. It, it makes people's lives better, 100%. That's what fuels the passion here. We know every time we sell a good food to that animal, we are helping a living being. That is everything. It's really everything. And it's so special to our industry to be able to curate that relationship that way on top of being their psychologists and then their grief counselors and mm -hmm. watching their kids grow up and their puppies Absolutely. go through their life cycles. It is just what really keeps me binded to it. I know I can't replace that in anything. I know there's no other industry like the pet industry. And, you know, I just hope everyone just finds their passion again when that light goes dim a little bit you kind of just gotta reignite it somehow right because it's the only way it's for the sure. only way for sure you know i was reading an article i think it was in the journal today about um google's algorithm and the first page of google when you look up something let's say pet owners are looking up you know feline kidney disease the first page majority of it, 80 to 90% of it are all ads. So retail businesses are there to kind of get you away from those ad mindset, even though a lot of independents carry, you know, the general foods that are in every store, but they do have the specialty items like the raised right, you know, like the, um, you know, polka dog and the super snouts, they have all those products in there that you wouldn't know about. And it's not a Google ad and it impacts the way a pet owner chooses to feed their pet and care for their pets very differently than that Google search does. And that's something that I think consumers need to be made aware of. You know, you're dealing with ads when you're going online. You go into a store, these folks are trained 
by the brands. Yes, they are trained by the brands, but they also see trends with health and see what product works well with others. And they have connectivity to the brand. So if there is a problem, you can reach out and connect a lot better. And that community mindset comes back again, that we all need to come together and support the independents. Find also really um, interesting is um, I would say I would have thought, and I still believe I I I believe it to be so, but that working with brands that are still privately held and independent and family owned, um, I would think would have more resonance than it really does in today's world. You know, it's it's really interesting because when someone comes to our stores and our offices and they show us a product and they are the innovators of it and they're the ones putting it to market and it fits, you know, in our portfolio and yeah, it's going to take more work to build it. Yes. The, you know, it might not have a hundred million dollar ad budget pushing consumers into the door but I do believe like part of what I love in this industry and, and loved always was the personal aspect of it, really the community part of it, the the one-to-one -one relationship stuff. And, you know, are you really getting that with these big brands? Like, are you really getting that with them? Like, do they sincerely care the same way for your well-being? I don't know. I, you know, I sell plenty of these larger brands. I have great working relationships with them, but there's other companies that come along and I'm like, I love that owner. Like, I just love that person as a human being. And I want to do everything I can to help them succeed. And that's, that's where innovation comes from. And then you have these big brands who buy them out. Well, within, yeah, within time. I mean, we, we see it over and over again. We've been seeing it for years. So yeah, yeah. But I, I, I would also hope that your audience really takes a harder look at that too, and really look at those types of things as deciding factors. Also, it's not all about budget, and it's not all about spend. What are the other intangibles, right? What are the, where? You know, what are they doing? Where is it that they have, they're transparent in everything that they do. They're honest. They operate business with integrity. Like that means something. Yeah. That re or, or if it doesn't, it should, right? And it should motivate you to want to sell those products on behalf of those brands and, and help them succeed because, when they succeed, you succeed. And it's, that's where I, I, you know, I just would, would hope that more people start to look back at that stuff and don't get so sensationalized with promotions and budget money and, well, and really yeah. look, look beyond that veil a little bit. Well, that takes me to, you have seven stores, right? So you have to train your staff to be able to communicate that heart and soul and that brand information to the consumer. So they choose that instead of what they see on their Google searches or what they have been ordering for a long time and buying over and over again. Yes. 
that's a the whole other animal. What we do um, and the approach we take, we do train our staff. We do have, you know, a, a program for training. We have basic training stuff, and then we have a more advanced nutritional stuff that down the line. Um, but we also curate what goes in pretty heavily now. And I think we've gotten to the point of being pickier, more specific. Um, there are no-go things on labels that, you know, don't pass muster. I know you're very good at that on your end, but I think that once we put a product on that shelf, our staff should feel comfortable that we've done our homework, right? That we've done our job to make sure that it fits within our philosophies and they should feel comfortable selling those items but even beyond that obviously we have you know tools and techniques to help motivate them to want to introduce those products to other customers some of it's contest based some of it's financial incentive you know it, mm -hmm. everyone gets motivated a little bit differently so you have to meet them where they are what we've seen and what's been unique is being on the front edge of the turns in the innovation cycles where, where we have walls of product that we can work from, freeze-dried or air-dried or raw or gently cooked or all these whole food type products, the, the new age, um, you know, shelf stable foods that are out there, like it allows us to continue to learn. It allows us to feel like we're helping animals by adjusting maybe long behavior cycles by customers. Like they're just used to buying certain things, but has anyone ever asked them, like, have you tried this? You know, why don't you try this? Because this is what this can do for you. And, and it, it's a very simple communication to introduce new products to store to customers. And I think that also connects that customer to your store, truthfully, in the end, because if you give them the, the right referral and you make a great transition and they come back and like, oh my God, you helped my dog. Mm -hmm. That's, that's unique in our industry and it's it's part of being able to continue to innovate um, your selection in your stores and be more progressive well you guys are certainly progressive adam thank you for doing this today i really appreciate it oh taz you're the best so <laughs> good to see you always thank good you. to see you thank you for the chat um and i really appreciate the opportunity to have been here talking to everyone so thank you so much Thank you.